Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Good morning. I know, I know. Uh, many of you guys are looking forward to Pastor Andre coming back to the pulpit. I am too. He's going to be back and sharing some really valuable stuff um, that's been on his heart uh, in two weeks' time. So, that is something to look forward to. In the meantime, while well, you're stuck with me, and uh, we're going week four on this series, how are we doing? Good? Well, last week at the start and the end of Andrew's inspiring message, um, he talked about famine, right? Uh, a particular famine of hearing the words of the Lord from Amos 8, when the people wanted it and they sought it, but they shall not find it. In a time when many of us, um, you know, you who are listening to this right now, we have access, almost unlimited access to all kinds of information, all types of Bibles, as well as a myriad of Bible tools, right, um, to help us with understanding the Bible. The pitiful and the lamentable thing is that we don't want it and we don't seek it. I remember a time when I was about six or seven years old, I think, Um, not really sure when, but I would regularly go next door where my aunt and her family stayed um, next to our house. And so I I often felt bored in the afternoon and I'd go over to their house um, and I was so commonly there that sometimes they don't even notice that I'm there. And so it's part of the routine, I'll just, you know, kind of slip in over to their house and then slip back out back to my own house. And that's all fine until one particular day, something different happened. Now, because they're so used to having me go in and out, um, there was one afternoon when I went there, and I can't remember what I was doing or you know how it happened, but all of a sudden, I realized that the house was dead silent. There was apparently no one in the house. They had all gone out, and I was all alone in the house. Like, everything's locked up. I can't get out. And not only that, the worst thing, this is back when, I don't know if uh, you some of you remember, but so back where we were, uh, there were like, these little house phones that had like, little padlocks uh, so that kids won't play with it and make expensive phone calls. So the phone was locked and I couldn't call my house or, you know, my parents. Uh, I panicked for a short while, but then after that, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to wait for them to come home. So that was a long, the longest few hours in my young life. And what I remember was, I don't remember everything else, I remember feeling super hungry. And I was so hungry, and yet, for the life of me, I don't know why I didn't think about going to the kitchen. So it was many hours later, and uh, then finally they came home, and I, I finally had stuff to eat. Um, so. It's a family joke that ever since then I lost, I, I stopped being chubby and I just became like what I am right now. <laughs> but the the thing is, the irony was that I I had access to the kitchen, but it didn't even cross my mind to go and look for food. And I was old enough, but I just didn't think about it. And I think in some ways, the same irony is shown in the level of biblical literacy in the church today, globally. I think despite uh, you know having the most access we have ever had in history to scripture and teachings from scripture and scripture references, believers are not accessing it and not feeding on it, not as much as 
generations before, perhaps, the decline is ongoing, and more and more people can't tell apart, you know, the characters and the contents, the stories in the Bible, from, you know, the instructions from other regular books. And that's a fact from many surveys done. Yet if there's one book that is the most influential in all of the history of civilization, it would be none other than the Bible. No other book comes close. And the history of how we came to have the Bibles we have today, it's marked by the efforts of amazing people, by the very hand of God. And William Tyndale is one such person, who was described by John Fox. I think he wrote the book on martyrs. Uh, uh, he, he described Tyndale as one who increased as well in the knowledge of tongues and other liberal arts, as, especially in the knowledge of the scriptures, whereunto his mind was singularly addicted. Imagine that his story of how he came to produce the English translation of the Bible is fascinating. Many were sacrificing their lives just to have parts of it or copies of it. Tyndale was threatened multiple times, imprisoned, copies of his translation were burned. He was betrayed, finally sentenced to death. And in 1536, he was burned at the stake. If you own an English translation of the Bible, any English translation, you owe it to people like William Tyndale. Make no mistake, there is a very, very clear call at this time for God's people to be a people shaped by the story of God. And the week before Andrew, Pastor Benny spoke to us from Nehemiah 8 about how we are to value coming together as God's people and returning to God's Word and rediscovering the person of the Holy Spirit. Right. The biblical community that he, you know, he used that term, what does it mean to be a biblical community? That was a question I asked as I heard him and I thought again and I reflected. It is to be a people whose purpose and passions and priorities are shaped, our entire worldview really, are shaped by God's story. And so I'm so grateful as I see the connectedness of what has been preached so far in this series. There is a coherent theme, uh, but more importantly, I see and I sense there is a coherent call to you and to me. Our biblical literacy sermon series will end right next Sunday, but do we stop there? Of course not. Right? Do you want to engage with God more and more through His Word? Do you want to grow in the spirit of wisdom and revelation in Scripture? Do you want to get deeper and more into scripture so that we won't struggle to read or struggle to stay awake, but delight in discovering stuff that God reveals in his word for yourself and for his people? Yes, and I pray, of course, right, for all of us. So as we jump in today uh, on, on what uh, I'm going to be talking about, let's pray uh, and then we'll start. God, we give you thanks for uh, just how you are constantly speaking and drawing your people to uh, what's on your heart. And the season, we ask that even this call that you have been issuing, you're issuing in this time to your people to know and, and step deep and immerse ourselves in your story, uh, in scripture and, and in what you're doing in the world and in us and in us as a community. God, we pray that we um, perceive your movements and we hear your voice and we respond uh, in loving obedience to all that you are and all that you have been doing 
in our lives and in the history of humanity and in this world. And God, we long just to hear your voice even as we jump in uh, to this message. We pray that you would speak to our hearts and really, you know, strike upon our hearts what is on your heart so that we resonate with you uh, even as we look at your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, as we dig into the Word of God, I love the parallel last week with Andrew of how, like, Joseph gathered grain, right, in sober preparation of what is ahead. So we should gather the pieces as we engage with Scripture, uh, all the more in sober preparation for what's ahead of us uh, in our day and in these times. It's good to be like Joseph in that way. And another J figure from the Old Testament we can be like is Joshua. Now, in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 8, chapter 1, we find Joshua on the cusp of Israel's very pregnant historical moment, Uh, right? For years, decades, they've been wandering in the wilderness. And now with Moses, his uh, predecessor who has passed away, took over from Moses, they're about to cross into the land of milk and honey. And the whole previous generation had passed for Joshua's generation and their experience as a people, for Joshua's own life, his own leadership, his call, his ministry. There are two hallmarks that show in Joshua's accomplishments with Israel, whether it's crossing the Jordan at harvest time or um, conquering Jericho and you know the taking of a promised land. Joshua 1 verses 1 to 8 uh, says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all these people into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Verse 3, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land I swore their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. And it goes on to say, Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Verse 9, last one. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Take a look at verses 3, 4, and 6, where it talks about, you know, that every place your feet tread upon, you will gain that territory. That belongs to you. And verse 5 and 9, uh, God promised His presence with Joshua. So the conquering, the taking of territory, and the promise of God's presence stand out in these texts. Foundational to these is what we see in 7 and 8, the verses 7 and 8. I believe foundational to these was really the priority of the Torah in Joshua's life. 
So church, this is it. We're talking about the priority of God's word. Such a priority it is, and such a compelling collection of writings inspired by God that we're told in Ezra 7 verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Think of what always happened when someone would set his or her heart to honor God's commands, his instructions, his directions. Jehoshaphat, Josiah, Hezekiah, David. It was never just like a blind, passive, theoretical kind of honor or, you know, just read. You know. It resulted in unmistakable change or reform in action, decisive action, in fact. The Torah called the people of Israel to reverence you know, to turn from their ways and to revere, to fear the Lord. Turn from your ways and have an inclination to walk in God's ways. Whenever they would set their hearts to prioritize it, there was that such a result. And, and in Deuteronomy 6, 1 to 2, it says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. And we see the same one in Deuteronomy 17, verse 14, 18 to 20, which you see on the slide. I'll go right to, this is when um, the people of Israel are told that when you enter the land and you will want a king, and then you set the king over you. In verse 19, it says, and it shall be with him, he shall read in it all the days of his life, talking about the book of the law, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and the statutes and doing them, so that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Notice a connection in these verses, that you may fear the Lord, or that he may fear the Lord, the king. How? By keeping all of his ways, all his commands. Why? So that your days may be long. Recall, blessed is that person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Right? He has a reverence for God because he delights in the law, in keeping it. He meditates on it day and night, every day. Delighting in God's word brings about a blessedness and that everything we do will prosper. Jesus himself modeled this priority of the word of God. You know, he quoted scripture very often when in the wilderness with the devil tempting him and taunting him and well i mean in my imagination he he's either extremely hungry or extremely weak from his long fast or both right and, and jesus quoted from the torah and the psalms in that uh, time of temptation one of which was that man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of god now let me switch gear here now a little bit. All that being said, now you and I find ourselves in a world where the Bible is highly misunderstood, misquoted, misinterpreted. We live in a time when our lives can be so cluttered where our minds reflect the same condition as our schedule, cluttered. 
and our hearts are distracted. We're torn between so many loves, so many affections and desires. And unlike Tyndale, who was singularly addicted to Scripture, we spend much less time with the Bible than we do, um, you know, the news or Facebook or, um, you know, all kinds. Hey, not judging, or if I am, I'm judging myself, right? And there's so many reasons why we neglect reading our Bibles, despite our occasional acknowledgement about the priority of God's Word in our lives. Or even when we do read it, we're not engaging with what we're reading with our whole hearts so often, and we take it more like maybe instruction, let me find you know, some advice or information for a living, which is all good, but then like it's more than that, being the inspired Word of God that it really is. Sometimes we, we open it up when we're thinking, hmm, what am I going to get out of the Bible for you know, for me today, what am I? What am I going to get out of this today? Sometimes we read to, like you know, tick off, or did I do my devotion today, or you know, but do we like Ezra set our hearts to study and do it, not just hear or read, but do? Matthew seven twenty four says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Right In James 1, 2, 2, we may know this. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. There's an author, uh, who, her name is Marva Dawn, who wrote in one of her books about, she, you know, she ran this four-month class uh, on Christian community. And she, she said it was woefully, terribly ineffective, lamenting over a lack of action. And here's what she wrote, which I'm going to read. Participants in the class told me frequently how much they enjoyed it, how much they were learning. But I wondered why not much was changing in our congregation. In my naivete, I believed that most people put truth into practice, that we all seek coherence between what we know and how we live, that knowledge leads to integrity of character and life. Right? Now it seems indisputable to me that television in our, or in our case, the internet, right, has habituated its watchers to a very low information action ratio. That people are accustomed to learning, hearing good ideas, even from sermons, and then doing nothing about them. Right? How true that many of us, we do have such a low information action ratio, but the Bible is not primarily you know, a historical book or an instruction book or something written just to satisfy our curiosity or, you know, a science thing or a love of novelty. No, it is to conform us to the image of His Son, that we grow towards Christ-likeness. And so the scripture says, taste and see the Lord is good. Come, follow me. Abide in my words. Abide in me, Jesus says. Such action words, it's, it's to grow our love for Jesus as we discover Him, as we behold His beauty, as He is revealed to us in Scripture. John 15.10, If you keep my commandments, Jesus says to His disciples, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. It is a love relationship. Uh, it's not just a book with text, it's with, with words. When God's people would set our hearts to honor God's Word, it will never be mere reading that is blind or passive or theoretical. It will definitely, it has to result in unmistakable change and life reform and action that is decisive within our hearts and in our lifestyle, in our purpose, our passions and our priorities. And some of us, you know, we've been in the inductive Bible study workshop together. 
I mean, I don't know, maybe not everyone, but I hope everyone is having so much fun um, uh, just geeking out on, you know, like studying the Bible. Here's a funny and true quotation that I found. Bible study can be habit-forming. Putting the principles into practice can cause loss of anxiety, decreased appetite for lying, cheating, stealing, hating, and symptoms of growing sensations of love, peace, joy, and compassion. I say amen to that. Our prayer is that our love for the Word deepens, you know, not just in studying the Word, but in that our posture towards Jesus, it deepens. There's this quote by Thomas Watson that says, Leave not off reading the Bible till you find your heart warmed. Let it not only inform you, but inflame you. Let's zoom in on this verse, Ezra 7.10, that we looked at as an example of someone who studied God's Word. Uh, and I've put here just, you know, different uh, translations so that we draw understanding on two specific words, right? And um, yeah, you can see on the slide, I won't go into details. You can take a look closer on your own. But what primarily I drew from looking at this in different translations is uh, that the word set, when it says, for Ezra had set his heart, um, it's to direct, to aim, to set one's face or one's way, to apply one's mind to do something, to take seriously, uh, to apply the mind, to direct the heart, set. So that's how Ezra set his heart. And so in other translations, he determined or he devoted himself to study the word. And the word study, what does that mean? Uh, it's not study to pass an exam. It's to investigate, to apply oneself to something, to study, to follow, not just to know, to study, to follow, to practice, to seek out or seek for application, right? That's uh, the essence of what Ezra was doing here, to study and to do the laws of God. And so church, I want to call us to posture ourselves like Ezra, like Joshua, like the psalmist in someone. If your desire is to set your heart to, to devote yourself, to, de to determine to go deeper into the Bible, which is to say that is to make uh, the priority of God's Word your priority, and I suspect many of you do, you do want that. But for whatever reason we fail to start or we stopped after a while, or we find it a bit intimidating, which I understand, I want to invite you to take these few practical steps, practical and serious steps that I'm about to list real quick. Five Ps. Not intended, it just came out Ps. Okay. So first one, purpose. Okay. Know your why. Like, why do you want to make the Bible a priority in your life? I think that's something that you need to reflect on, uh, not because someone says so, not because, you know, people say you should, but why? Why do you want that? So know your purpose. Second is plan. Have a plan. How do you want to go deeper in Scripture? How do you want to go about your Bible study? How do you want to go deeper? Um, is it with people or yourself or both? Plan. And then with the plan, plan how you'll stick to your plan. Okay, so that's important. Sometimes we have like Bible reading plan and then the plan is just sitting there, right? So plan how you'll stick to your plan, right? The third P, physical copy. Now I know 
Some of you are super happy, very comfortable with your digital uh, uh, Bible, and that's all good. Uh, it serves its purpose. But I want to encourage you to have, if you don't already, or to use it more, the physical copy. Why? I realize, you know, when we do Bible study, there's so much going on, and you know, sometimes it's fun to call rabbit trails, and I think some of you would agree. But even if you're not going on rabbit trails, you're doing word study, or you're, you know, studying a particular uh, character in the Bible, you will often kind of cross-reference, and you put marks uh, on your Bible, or you use your pencil and do some, like, you know, not note-taking. Invest in a good physical copy of the Bible, like, you know. And uh, someone says, like, which is, what, which translation is the best one? The one that you read. Right, so grab a physical copy, and you will find, uh, you know, actually it's pretty refreshing if you haven't done it in a while to do that um, in, in hard copy. Fourth, fourth P, is partner or partners. Right, find a study buddy or someone. Not necessarily you have to do the same plan, but you can. Uh, but the point is, is to check in with each other to share. Um, you know, something that, you know, you, you're, you're kind of meditating on or reflecting on and, you know, a bit of accountability there and a bit of encouragement when you feel uh, like, you know, oh, I, I don't want to, I don't think I can go on. Just checking each other to share and encourage and pray. So really the fifth one is prayer. Uh, to have conversation with the author of the Bible himself, right? Um, actually, it makes a huge difference. Uh, to pray, to sing, and to read scripture aloud, whether it is by yourself or in community. Uh, because, you know, much of the Bible, in fact, was, uh, it came through orally uh, by hearing uh, of the word. And uh, actually, sometimes when we think we're familiar with a passage, instead of reading it, try listening to it. You know, there's tons like, you know, on Spotify or YouTube or whatever. Listen to it in audio version or sing it or read it aloud uh, in your room or when you're in life group. And it makes a difference in your prayer as well. Yeah. So I want to say life group is where it, it's at. Join one if you haven't or if you're in one. I urge you to participate meaningfully. Uh, sometimes, you know, I know some of you said I uh, virtual, you know, a bit tiring, but sometimes I think we just need to, like, you know, cross over there, especially on Zoom. Just, just if you're going to be there, be all there, right? Contribute, share, open up, go deeper, and just, you know, uh, bring your stuff to the table and just, you know, feast together. Um, life group is, is, is where we're at. You know, when Jesus demonstrated how much he valued the Word of God, the remarkable thing as we come to an end, the remarkable thing is that He Himself is the Word. Jesus Himself. John 1.14 The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And He is that living Word. He is that bread of life. If you would eat of Him, you would never go hungry again. He is that living water that washes us with the Word. John 5.39 You search the scriptures, Jesus is saying uh, to the religious leaders, because you think that in them you have eternal life. Which is true, there is life in the Word. And But yet it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The scriptures really bear witness about Jesus. And that's why the priority of God's Word in Jesus' life, and it ought to be in ours as His people, as His bride, the whole purpose of studying Scripture, as we've been saying, but hey, repetition means emphasis, right? Is that Scripture reveals Jesus to us. That is the beauty of the Bible. 
So as we end, I want to invite you to just let's pause and listen to the Word Himself speak to you, speak to us. Just pause for a moment, drop whatever you're doing. Um, if you were multitasking, take a moment right now just to be still and just listen to the Word speak to you. What is Jesus saying? And as you've heard, you know, what I've been sharing, I pray, you know, is God drawing you to set your heart to go deeper, to commit or commit afresh to the study of His Word. And if that's you, wherever you are sitting, standing, resting, I invite you to extend your hands and ask God in your own words, God, would you guide and empower me to go deeper into Scripture? That's my heart's desire. Tell Him in your own words, even now. And for some of you, um, you may be struggling. Um, maybe you have the desire or you used to have the desire and you've tried. Or, but your time with the Bible is at this, right now in your life, maybe it's non-existent or it's been really dry or you just struggle to even, you know, engage with it, understand it or stay awake, whatever, you know. You just don't enjoy it. But today, you just feel God drawing you and you know, putting a desire, a fresh desire inside of you um, to just know the Bible afresh. And to revisit even, you know, your life verses or, you know, encounters the Word that you have had in your walk with Him. And this morning you want to say yes to Him and to this fresh desire that He is putting in your heart. You want to say, yes, God, I want to, you know, be reacquainted with my Bible. I want to commit afresh and just come back and say, I've struggled, um, but I receive your grace to read and study even this morning. I want to pray for you if that's you and you want to say yes to Him. Father God, you know where we're at you know, each of us in our lives. And, you know, while we know the priority of your word, there are just moments and, and seasons in our lives where either, you know, circumstances or timing or our hearts, are just multiple factors. Um, some of us may have just, may just feel really worn out and just not feeling really um, in touch with your word or just feeling like it's dry and it's not enjoyable to read the word at this point in their lives. God, I just want to pray uh, for these precious ones. I want to ask that God this morning as you are drawing uh, them to receive this fresh desire that comes from you to re-enter and just re-immerse into scripture once again and just to be available 
to want to. I pray, God, that your grace would be filling them even now in the name of Jesus. Would you really just impute, give that fresh desire into our hearts that, God, it is not a desire to just know stuff about you from the Bible. It is this fresh desire to know you afresh and to fall in love with Scripture again and to just revisit how amazing and how powerful and how active and living your word is. This morning we pray, may this fresh desire be received in Jesus' name. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you, who, who, are, who is our teacher, who guides and leads us into all truth, may you guide these ones as they open the pages of your word and revisit and read and reread. I pray, God, that you would grant uh, illumination, give your spirit of wisdom and revelation, and open our eyes to behold the amazing things in these pages that are your word, your revelation to us, and ultimately to see and know Jesus afresh. God, we pray all this, and as a church even now, as a community, we pray, Father God, that may we with your help, with your grace, your empowering, set our hearts, determine and devote ourselves to the study of Scripture so that it would not just inform us, but inflame our hearts for you once again. And we pray all this as a church, as brothers and sisters, and as your family. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.